Hey, good morning, One Hope. So I've recorded and coming to you um, on the screen this morning because I've taken my little boy, Joshua, who turned seven last week, away to the Kruger. It's a family tradition that we've done for ages. Um, that when our kids turn seven, we take them to the, I take them to the Kruger for a bit of a, a coming of age. Um, so we're going to be worshipping God in Lower Sabi this morning. And then this afternoon, after you've watched this, we'll be going back towards the Johannesburg airport. Um, I want to speak this morning on how we strive to be a word and a spirit people. Um, I want to say right up front that I've drawn from someone called Sam Storms, a writer and author, a preacher, um, who speaks about this quite a lot and been helpful in my own journey and my own thinking. So where do we start? Well, maybe... Uh, you're not even aware that there's a word and a spirit thing and uh, there can be a lot of debate and even outright conflict between uh, these two camps, if we could call them that. And so there's there's the in the word camp and there's the in the spirit camp. Uh, it might be that this is a, is a big issue for you. Maybe you come from a family um, where you've really grappled and had to struggle with uh, some of the aspects that we're going to speak about this morning. And there's inter-family conflict around speaking in tongues or, or, or the way way that we read the word or certain interpretations, maybe even married to someone who's on a different page to you, and that can be uh, difficult at times, or you might be on the other end of the spectrum where you say, man, I haven't really thought about it, I'm not even sure what you're talking about, um, but even just the fact that you're in One Hope this morning probably means that something has made you more comfortable in our congregation than in another church that you visited, and it might have been an intangible, you might not be able to articulate it all that clearly, but you probably find that it has something to do with what we're going to be talking about this morning. So when I speak about these two camps this morning, I'm going to deliberately use a little bit of stereotype and caricature just because it makes it more clear. It's easier when we take it a little bit to the outer borders for us to be able to get clarity on these camps. But at the same time, I just want to acknowledge up front that a lot of hurt has been done to both sides of this argument or these camps. Um, there's a lot of anger in them because of stereotypes and caricatures and you always and you never and these this kind of um, language. And I also want to recognize that for many of us in the room today, we wouldn't fit into either of these camps necessarily. We'd probably find ourselves straddling um, somewhere in the middle. So with those hopefully helpful disclaimers in place, uh, let's look at the kind of extreme sides of these camps. And you, you have a camp which is, I'll call them the in the word camp, and they prioritize the Bible and oftentimes diminish the working of the Holy Spirit in the church today. So they would often on the, on the more extreme side believe that the gifts have ceased, that the spiritual gifts have ceased, that it was for another period, or a slightly lighter version might be that the gifts still exist but not not really in any in any form. We shouldn't expect them in any frequency or with great power as they did when we read the Word of God. The Holy Spirit camp on the other side, they would prioritize the experience of the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives right now. So that would be major for them. The, the Word camp would accuse the Spirit camp of overemphasizing what God is saying right now over and above what He has already spoken through His Word. So they say things like, well, God's word is sufficient. We don't need anyone adding to that or anyone saying anything else. We don't need prophetic. And that's how they would interpret that. 
Whereas the spirit camp would accuse the word camp of being all stuck in their head and of having a trinity of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures and of unintentionally writing the Holy Spirit out of their lives and out of their churches. Now the result is that the word camp is often offended by charismatic ministries, charismatic expressions and practices that can be untethered from biblical doctrine. And let's just say right up front that there are many examples of that. But the word camp can also be deeply offended and angry about practices that many evangelicals, including us, would believe are very soundly taught and part of the scriptural experience and the scriptural understanding. The spirit camp, the result there, is that they have often suffered from the cynicism and even the judgment brought against them by the word camp. The attitude of those who've used the Bible incorrectly to bash them. They've weaponized the Bible and anything that they disagree with, they would bash them in an ungracious way. And there's many examples of that today as well. Now the the tricky part comes in that both sides would adamantly insist that they are not to blame for the gap, for the division that you would see in many churches. The word camp will insist that it's open to the Holy Spirit and they will affirm that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead and an equal part of the Godhead. The spirit camp equally would insist that they love God's word. And they want to obey God's word and they want to teach it effectively and to hold it up as divinely inspired. But the truth of the matter is that we do see a wide gap in the church. And so you can see immediately that the topic that we're coming to this morning is quite a tricky business. Now I want to make a few points. I want to make two points on on don't. Don't do this or don't think like this. Then I want to look at two specific areas within one hope that I don't feel we're doing a great job on. So quite a kind of negative start. And then I want to look at uh, just a, a vision for the future of one hope and what we believe God has called us to as we hold these things in tension together. And then I'm going to end off with some practical uh, ways that we see this working uh, within One Hope. So that's where we're going this morning. Um, the first, the first point I want to make, and this is one that should really excite our hearts, is that we don't have to choose between the Word Camp and the Spirit, the Spirit Camp, the Holy Spirit Camp. This, this division is not one that we see the Bible ever endorsing. It's a, it's a fake dichotomy. It's a, it's a man-created division. It's not in God's words. And, and Christians on both sides of this forget that it's the Bible, the Word, that encourages, encourages us to pursue spiritual gifts and commands us not to forbid speaking in tongues and other things we're going to look at just now. And so we see the Word and the Spirit very clearly together. And on the flip side, it's the Holy Spirit Himself, who is the inspired Word of God, that has inspired God's Word and the very doctrines and theology that we hold so close to our hearts. Those of us who love God's Word and those doctrines are given by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, as we read God's Word, it's only by the power of His Spirit that it's not just any other old book to us. The Holy Spirit makes it Alive, and, and we can't forget those 
things. And so here's our, here's our big idea for today. The Spirit and the Word have always and will always be found together. Let me say that again. Now, I would love you to leave this morning with this little phrase ringing in your mind. The Spirit and the Word have always and will always be found together. There is no need to separate them. Now, don't take my word for it or Sam Storm's word or anyone else's word for it. Let's turn to God's word and see what the Holy Spirit has spoken. Remember, you'll hear this phrase often at One Hope. The Bible is our book. It's where we, where we anchor ourselves. It's where we find our worldview is in God's word. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 14, it's Paul writing to a group of believers in the city of Corinth who really are going after the gifts. They are pursuing the spiritual gifts in a very big way. In fact, so much so that it's led to a little bit of chaos in their meetings. And when they gather, Paul is not so sure that the body is being edified and built up and helped by the way that the Corinthians are practicing their gifts. So in some way, I'd expect him to come and really shut it down. Say, guys, this is unhelpful and you shouldn't be pursuing the gifts like this. What we see instead is that Paul come. Paul comes and thoroughly endorses the gifts while also thoroughly helping them understand a helpful order or a practice or a way for this to both be uh, beautifully meaningful for those who are experiencing the Spirit as well as being in an orderly way that really builds up the church. So it's not just a person having a wonderful experience on their own and they leaving feeling so edified, but the rest of the church has got no idea what's happened. So let's read some of 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 1, Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. One hope, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. He carries on especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. What a wonderful thing. He's not diminishing tongues. He's not saying it's a bad thing that we don't speak to people. He's saying, man, when you speak in tongues, you speak to God. What an amazing thing. We skip down to verse 5, and Paul says it like this. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. And we see again the context here of Paul saying, in the context of a church environment, it's greater for someone to speak God's word, to, to prophesy, to expound God's word to us, and, and make intelligible sounds than it is for you to speak in tongues. But he's not diminishing that we should pursue both of them. Verse 15 in chapter 14 of Corinthians, he, Paul says, well then, what shall I do? And this is his response. He says, I, speaking about himself, I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in words I understand. You see how he's refusing to separate them? Both. I'm going to do both of these things. He carries on and says, I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words I understand. Both. Verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, Paul says. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now, as I've said, Paul is not in any way undermining the gifts. In fact, 
When we stop and we consider that Paul is the, one of the major writers of the New Testament to whom those who are, of us who love cerebral thinking and we want to get in our minds a little bit, which is not a bad thing, we want to bring it together with the Spirit, of whom he, he, he writes so much of the theology and the doctrine that we so love. And yet when we peel back in this 1 Corinthians 14, what we actually see is a picture of Paul's devotional life that I'm not sure that those of us that are more cerebral thinkers would be very comfortable with. Where he says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. I speak in tongues more than all of you. He says, I'm going to sing in tongues. I'm going to sing in languages no one can understand. And I'm going to sing in words that people around me can understand. And we have this picture of Paul that I'm not so sure that we would accept today. And just let that sit in our minds a little bit as we consider how Paul so comfortably held both the deep truths of God and when we look in on his devotional life we see an exuberance, an experience of the Spirit, a singing in the Spirit, a praying in the Spirit, a desiring more of the spiritual gifts, more of God's work in his life and through his life. Paul ends this chapter by saying in verse 39, so my dear brothers and sisters be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues but be sure that everything is done properly and in order i don't believe that god's word could be any clearer to us the big idea is that the spirit and the word have always and will always be found together So that's the first don't, but it's actually a a positive, encouraging don't. We don't need to choose. God does not choose. His word clearly puts these things together. We're going to read some more scripture around that just now. The second thing I want to say, and I do want to be brief here, is that we don't let experience alone guide us. Experience is not a great anchor to to kind of hook onto, right? I, I will just think about our culture. It's so changing. It's so transient. If we just look around the room today, we'll find a whole bunch of different cultures. So whose culture do you go with? That's not a good place to kind of take our worldview from. And now there is experience. If it comes to our experience, well, whose experience trumps whose? So just in the room again today, we could speak about the experience of living in South Africa. And depending largely because of our past on the color of your skin, you would have a vastly different experience of South Africa. Now both are valid, both are true, but they're completely different, the experience. So whose experience do you take with the the chasm of difference between the person who grew up in Kayamandi and the person who grew up in Dibuot? Whose experience do you take? So that's a flimsy rock on on which to anchor. These things are important. I'm not diminishing culture. I'm not diminishing our experience and how God uses them in our lives. But they are not the place to which we can safely turn and anchor our worldview on. The worldview that we need to anchor on is, is be rooted in the Bible. The Bible is our book. That's where we turn to, irrespective of our culture, irrespective of our experience, irrespective of any other things that we may wish to hook onto. No, we turn to God's word and this shapes every one of our 
worldviews. We turn to Scripture Galatians and says, keep in step with the Spirit, walk with the Spirit. And, and this is where we turn for our worldview. We go to the Holy Spirit through God's Word and, 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 and asking Him, help us to see, help us to interpret our world um, correctly. Now this is true whether you've had a bad experience or whether you've had a good experience. Sometimes you might have had an experience where you've grown up in a church where the Bible has been used as a weapon to control you and you feel stifled and you feel resentful and you, you walk into a church where God's word is rightly held high and you feel your antibodies rising to the surface and you get out of there as quickly as you can. But it might be the other way around where you've seen the spirit being abused and you've seen people being pushed over or people being emotionally manipulated and the environment has been masterfully manipulated to get people in a certain mood and the manipulative leaders and you walk into a church where the gifts are being held high and the 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 work of the spirit and sanctification is being held high and the holy spirit has been given a place of honor and you you head head for the doors as quickly as you can right and and even Even in other experiences, good experiences or or bad experiences, the point is this. All experiences, positive or negative, must find their rightful place. And that rightful place is under the authority of God's written word. We come to God's word and we say, Lord, let this word be a lens to any experience I have. And when we feel, when when we realize that our experience has been elevated positively or negatively, over God's word, we need to repent and bring it back into its rightful place. We need to come in prayerful dependence, asking God, help us to walk step by step with the Holy Spirit. Our interpretation of Scripture cannot be captured by our positive or negative experiences. And just to reiterate, guys, our experiences are vital. God gives us experience. God speaks to the mind, the body, the soul, the heart, every part of us. Our emotions, our affections, the whole shebang, the whole lot is is under God's direction and spoken to by God. So that's two don'ts. We don't need to choose and we don't let experience alone guide us. Now I want to spend a little time talking about two areas that I don't feel that we're doing so great in, um, or so well in this correct English, in our, in our One Hope story. The first one is this. We feel that we hold correct doctrine as a church, but our practice is weak. And so we have this good theology, but I must admit that I believe that in some way, we're struggling to practice it in the way that we can plainly and obviously see written in Scripture. So let me give you a few examples here. Um, our singing and our praise when we gather together in corporate settings. I, I believe God's Word clearly shows us a place where we can be in adoration of our Father, where we can be exuberant with our Father and with the Spirit empowering us to worship Him with our heart, with our soul and with our body and with our mind as we see all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. I believe that God's Word clearly shows us that He doesn't just engage our mind and our, our theology of the good song that we're singing, but also that He engages our affections and our emotions. 
Now some of you, I can sense that you, I'm, I'm making you nervous here. And others of you are saying, let's go. Yes, we need more of that. I'm just recognizing that we're in different places. But I do feel that we have a, a disconnect here between the theology and the doctrines that we hold and, and what we see um, out in practice. Another one that I, I see is our contribution. Scripture speaks about how one person brings a song, another person brings a lesson, another person brings a revelation, another person brings a tongue, another person brings an interpretation to that tongue. We see Paul saying uh, something along the lines of we, we should maybe bring three at a time and no more in a meeting. And so that, that's, I'm like, wow, one would be great. Three, that, that seems to be what his expectation is. Another area is our pursuing of the spiritual gifts. Who, who in our midst is, is prophesying and is the Holy Spirit prophesying through? Who is crying out to God to heal the sick in supernatural ways while still holding firmly to doctrine and not being untethered? How do we hold good theology on all of these things? And I am concerned that there is a practice disconnect. It feels, in a metaphor and analogy, it feels to me like we're paddling in a tidal pool when God has called us to swim uh, in the ocean. But we like the tidal pool, right? It's safe. It's predictable. There's no sharks here. Uh, We're very in control. And so we like it that the preacher does his thing. And the worship stays in its box just there. Nothing strange happens. So my friends who I brought with, they're not freaked out by anything. Guys, God's word is so explicit that it is faith. That it's expecting more. That it's faith in our hearts which pleases God. And I just want to ask the question this morning. Are we exercising much faith right now? Do we come to our gatherings? Do we come to our workplace where you work week after week? Do you come to your campus where you're studying? Do we come to our family and our friends full of faith and expecting God to to do more, expecting God to work in power among us, expecting God to heal, expecting God to meet us, not just in an intellectual sense, but in an experiential sense, like his word clearly lays out. Now, for some of you, you hear me saying this, and this resonates so much with you, and you're like, let's go. What have we been waiting for? Come on. Others of you are like, hang on a second. I like it just like this. This is why I joined the church, because it's a little bit more safe, and and I like it just like it is. Now, let me just hopefully help us clarify some of this this morning. I'm not calling for wild swings in any one direction or another. What I'm asking for is that we go read God's word honestly. We go and read God's word with an open heart. That we take our experiences and line them up with God's word. Whether we've had positive experiences or negative experiences on either of these sides. That we're bringing these two things as the Bible does together. And we're saying, Father, won't you examine our hearts Won't you help us? We can see in your word that you never separate these things. But when I look at me, I see separations that are quite evident. And I want to bring that before you and ask you, won't you examine it and help me see what we need to change, both as a church and us individually. Surely, if God reveals things like this to us through his word, we must make adjustments. Let me remind us of the big idea this morning. The spirit and the word have always and will always be found 
together. The second thing that I want to touch on briefly around where I don't think One Hope, where we're doing so great, is that we have stopped desiring more. Now, that's quite a blanket statement, and I, I don't intend for it to kind of be all or nothing, but just get my heart here. I, I'm feeling this very personally as I was wrestling with this text. I, it, it, was, it was very much for me. And I don't feel, if I, if I prayerfully examine my life and my leadership of One Hope and my leadership in my family, etc., I don't feel like there's critical moments, certainly not that I felt God remind me of or show me as I've been prayerful, um, critical moments or, or crossroads where I've deliberately quenched the Spirit, as, as God's Word is a verse that speaks about, don't, don't quench the Spirit. I don't feel like I've felt the Spirit wanting to do something and said, no, 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 we're not going to go there. We're going to, it's not, a, it's not as blatant as that, but I do feel as if there's been a settling in my heart. That's the best word I can find, or just that I've got very comfortable just preaching a, a, a good word, pastor. That was a, that was a good word. Thank you. And I feel like I've, I've got comfortable in that space, that we just kind of keep it in the doctrinally, theologically safe space. We sing our songs, we go through our motions a little bit, and I just feel like in my heart I've started to feel like that is enough. And when I look at God's word, it, it, it confronts me and challenges me freshly that actually we should be looking for more we should be desiring more i read a quote many years ago by aw toza and as i was preparing this week this quote kept coming back to mind um, and he's speaking about Israel and Elijah and Mount Carmel and how Elijah is saying to them up there with the, with the two altars and all the prophets of Baal. Many of you would know the story. And Elijah is saying, today we're going to decide who's God and we're going to decide it by a display of power. We're going to see, we're going to both call on God. You, you false prophets, you call on God and I'm going to call on God and we're going to see who God responds to and then we'll know who, who, which, which God is real. And Toza says, current evangelicalism has laid the altar and divided the sacrifice into parts, but now seems satisfied to count the stones and rearrange the pieces with never a care that there is not a sign of fire upon the top of lofty Carmel. But God be thanked, there are a few who care. Friends, I do not want to be found rearranging the pieces on the altar. He's speaking about the bull that's been cut up by Elijah. I don't want to be found counting the stones and seemingly content with no fire from God, with no power from God. I, I feel a fresh stirring in my heart to say, Lord, I want a desire to see your word and your spirit running in parallel like I see clearly in your word. Finally, one big do. We've spoken about two don'ts, two areas of concern within one hope. And now I want to speak about one big do. What would our lives and our churches look like if we really took today's big idea to heart that the Spirit and the Word have always and always will be for eternity to come found together. They always are held together. What, what if we took that with a fresh commitment in our hearts to refuse to separate the Word from the Spirit? What if we, what if we with fresh 
fresh determination for our experiences to find their rightful place under God's word. And we're very fearful and we're afraid because of past experiences to submit that to God and let Him heal us so that they find their right place again. What if we were open for our, our hearts that are open and prayerful, asking God to help us in our unbelief around our lack of faith, living faith-filled lives, earnestly seeking more of the Holy Spirit. Just imagine for a moment a Christian or a church, imagine one hope, if we could embrace both the authority of Scripture and the supernatural work of the Spirit and spiritual gifts. And we didn't have to pepper our prayers the whole time with, if it be your will, God, if it be your will, which in some circumstances I know that I pray that when I'm, I'm a little bit afraid to actually just have faith that God wants to do something. What about if, if we let God make us a Christian who both affirms the sufficiency of the Bible while at the same time longing for more of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and for evidence of the Spirit in our lives, both in the fruit of the Spirit and the sanctification as well as in the gifts of the Spirit at work in us and through us to one another. Can you imagine a Christian who holds to accurate doctrines and theology while at the same time praying big, faith-filled prayers for healing and God's supernatural works in the world? A Christian who both loves what God does to his or her mind as much as they love what God does to their heart and in touching the deepest emotional core and affections. Friends, we don't have to imagine this. This is a biblical picture of a true Christian man or woman. This is a biblical picture of a church that's correctly holding these things in tension. Let me read a a few verses quickly for us. Acts chapter 14 and verse 3, speaking about the apostles, says the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. There's the word. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Paul writing and he says, My message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And Paul's saying, I even, I even dumbed down, in a sense, my preaching so that you didn't just think this is a knowledge-based, a wisdom kind of um, philosophy, but rather that you understand that it's completely tethered and linked God's Word, the message, with Holy Spirit power, and you need to trust in both of these things. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 5, For when we brought you the good news... Paul speaking about himself and his companions who had brought the word to Thessalonica. We brought you the good news. It was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance 
that what we said was true. And so we see word and spirit and spirit and word. And they never separated out into these camps. They are always like railway line tracks running side by side. Wherever the one goes, the other goes biblically. But in our churches and in my experience and in many of your experiences, I would venture to say that our tracks are going all over in different places. What about One Hope? How do we try and live this out? Then we get to the, the practical aspect of our message. Guys, like I've said, I do feel like this is a little bit of an Achilles heel for us. As elders, we've been talking about this for some time, that it does feel like we're, we're walking with Olympia. But there are also some areas that I do feel we're doing really well in. And we've been honest. I've been honest from the pulpit today around some of the areas where we see weakness. But there's also some great examples of, of God in His mercy doing this in us right now. And so just, I've, I've used this example recently, but think about our, our family camp. And while we're holding God's word high and Taryn and Julie are with us and they're speaking through what's so amazing about scripture and Taryn is, is very heady and very that way inclined and just wonderful teaching on God's word and reminding us to memorize scripture. And we're doing it practically on this camp. And at the same time, Julie, it, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is busy prophesying uh, into us as a community, prophesying around God, bringing us bruised fruit and people who are going to be uh, struggling a little bit from hurt, hurt experiences and past church experiences and how God is wanting to bring them to us for healing. And we're saying, thank you, Jesus. Now, both of them are operating in the power of the Spirit in very different ways, teaching God's word and bringing prophetic words. And I know Julie brought many personal words that just have encouraged people and exhorted them to carry on in the things that God has put in their hands to do. Another example would be the way that we do our preaching series. Uh, so Ephesians, as an example, we, we rely so much on the Holy Spirit to guide us and to, to teach us what God's Word is saying. At the same time, we engage with commentaries and with others who've gone before us. Bates and I took three days. We went out to the Karoo, into the wilderness, to pray and to ask God to help us to, to present Ephesians in a way to our church that is compelling and passionately passionate in its application and um, excellent in its explanation. And so we, we wanted to have both of these things. And we spent a lot of time in prayer. And we read the text again and again. These are examples. Other, another one is prophetic words or prophetic things that have happened in our times of prayer as elders. One of, one of those would be looking back six or seven years. And from an extended few times of prayer and conversation, we felt like the Spirit was really moving us as elders to invest in the next generation and into, into kids. But when we looked at our church, we only had a few children running around. And so to get a kids church worker did not seem like the obvious next step. It wasn't a great budget call. And yet in God, we felt a growing sense that this was good to God and good to us. And so we went ahead and employed Bates and Jen. And what a blessing they've been to our community as we've watched that explode and Prisca coming through and so many other kids church volunteers. And we see God doing something wonderful in our midst in the family group, in the family age group. And that's just an area where we've lent into the Holy Spirit. Now let me conclude just with 
Some final clarifying thoughts. Guys, don't hear me say this morning, it's all fall down. We're doing terribly. Do hear me say, do hear me say this, we want more, Lord. Do hear me say, Lord, won't you help us by showing us our disconnects. Disconnects of practice, disconnects of theology. Guide us by your word. Empower us by your spirit. Hit both our minds and our hearts. Both our intellect and our emotions and our affections. We want to know you, God. Do hear me saying all of those things. Friends, do hear me uh, issuing a rally cry to us to live in a fresh reality, corporately and personally and in our life groups and in every nook and cranny of One Hope's existence, that we live in the fresh reality of the biblical reality that the Spirit and the Word have always and will always be found together. Friends, don't hear me say this morning, you're in. Or you're out. Either you go the whole way with us on this or you're out. I know that if we take a sample of the room, so many of us will be in different places this morning. And I'm not here as a, as a herdsman to throw stones at you and chase the sheep and to hit you with sticks. I'm trying to call you with a shepherd's voice, which I believe is a, a biblical voice, to say, come on, there's more. Let's expect more from God. Let's ask Him for more in our lives. It's okay for you to be where you are at on your journey, but I do want you to do something. I don't want you just to stay there. I don't want to just stay there. I want to ask you this morning, would you turn to someone next to you? Uh, just in just in twos would actually be perfect. If you want to, you know, be rebellious and go for threes and fours, go for it. But just twos would be helpful. Turn to someone and spend five minutes talking through, after hearing this sermon, what is my next step here? What is it that God's calling me to obey? Maybe it's that you're struggling with this theologically. You haven't maybe engaged with it very much, or you have, but you're not sure where you land on it. You need to spend some time investigating. That's your next step. That's great. Maybe you need to get a coffee with someone who, who's, who's thought this through and who's down the road and a, a little mature, a little older, and you say, can I have a coffee? Won't you help me understand some more of this? Maybe you're feeling biblically convinced of what I'm saying this morning, but just like I've felt this week, you feel freshly convicted of a disconnect between what you know and what you're doing, your practice. So spend the next five minutes, where are you at and what is your next step? How do we obey? Friends, and in all of this, I want us to remember that the Spirit and the Word have always and will always be found together. God bless you. We see you next week. Do smaller groups and discuss those questions. Cool.